This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to cutting through all the confusing marketing BS so you can actually understand how to take action and change your business today. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about how to communicate effectively to influence. And as I'm fond of saying, and April gets tired of me saying, but so tired my saying, but anyway. Until the world is run by robots, there will always be another person on the other end of the sale, which means your ability to be able to create emotional connections is going to be key in achieving your personal and professional goals and dreams. And we know that many people are going to try to go around this by dictating an agenda and forcing people to abide by it. We've seen and been in plenty of those relationships. And we know, you know, this actually can work short term just by forcing people into compliance, but we are big believers in karma Mm -hmm. and that karma always catches up with you, and in this case, with this type of behavior. Uh, Right on. And so the only way to effectively create these emotional connections that lead to those relationships that you need in order to achieve your goals and dreams is through influence. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And we definitely want you guys to stick around for the in the trenches questions, which we call our ITT questions. Because we're going to address very directly how to overcome some of the biggest challenges people have when trying to have influencing conversations. Like they feel really nervous or they're not able to get a hold of the person or trying to build your presence or influence as a newer team member. All things that we've heard very, very prevalently from our clients. With that being said, let's jump into how to communicate effectively to influence. The first one is to know your audience. Now, influencing is all about giving the recipient something they want in order to get something you want. So inherently, your influencing approach should be more focused on what they will get out of it, your recipient will get out of it, versus what you need or what you feel like you want or feel like what you deserve, which means you really need to understand what the recipient's goals and dreams are, as well as your own, and how you can play a part in really helping them achieve it. This may require you to do some research and then also some general engagement or observation before you go all in with your ask or your request or your recommendation. So for example, if you want more responsibility at work, whether it's through maybe a promotion or expanded role or just whatever that looks like to you, your approach to your boss should be how to make them look good or make their life easier versus why you think you deserve it. So here's a difference in the way this sounds and how you might approach your boss. So you could say, I'd really like to talk to you about expanding my role to include management of this other team. I know you're splitting your time between my team and that team, and I think there are a lot of synergies that could streamline the work and improve results if I were to manage both and then you were just to manage me. So it's one conversation versus, I would really like to talk to you about expanding my role to include management of this other team. Been in my current role for two years now, and I think I need the additional exposure in order to progress in my career. Right. The second one is obviously your goal and desire, <laughs> without a doubt, and that's very, very clear. But the first one puts your your want or desire in the context of what your boss also wants and desires. They want an easier uh, streamlined, potentially an easier streamlined management structure. They want somebody who can see synergies across the teams and are able then to deliver those synergies across the teams, right? So you're giving them something that they want in order to achieve something that you want. And this helps you to have 
more of an influencing conversation versus the still ladder one, which we hear a ton. <laughs> and um, it doesn't usually get very far because it is all about you. April, I know you have an example on this one too. Yeah, well, and I would just like to first say that it's partially making your boss look good and, of course, addressing that need of what will help them out. But I think the other side of it is that they get so many of the second example where people are out for themselves, trying to push their agendas, thinking that they're sticking up for themselves in the right way, but actually in many cases doing themselves more harm than good because then mm -hmm. they're just part of that pack that's constantly viewed as a complainer that wants the next thing out of their career, next thing out of their career. And it's always about them. And it's always about them and not the greater good. Right. So. Anyway, just reinforcing that point. Yep. But my example is all around agencies, which should not surprise anyone. And agencies are historically notorious for going in and trying to strong arm potential clients by saying, we know the best way. You know, we're the professionals here. We've been doing this for X amount of years. We have this proven process. We have these success metrics. So therefore, you should hire us. And in no way is part of that conversation about the client. And quite frankly, this is one of the reasons that I ended up leaving agency life. And therefore, it's one of the things that Ann and I align on. And we do not do that. Actually, not doing that helps us better serve our customers across the board. But so really specifically, I'll give you my two setups here as well. So the first one is, we follow X process and it takes no less than three months because we need to be fully immersed in your business in order to best be able to do your X work that you asked for. Wow, that takes me back. Yeah. Right? <laughs> a little PTSD. A little PTSD in this episode. Whereas we at Fourth Rate People approach it like, what is the biggest problem facing your business to date? Or what keeps you up at night? And then based on that response, we then formulate our response and our proposed approach. And this does two things. One, it does exactly what Anne's point is with this, you know, first one here, which is it puts it very much in the context of what they're going to get from you. But then also you get points from being able to think on your feet and come up with a customized response, which I have to be fully honest and say that many times in the agency approach, that was a way to buy time, right? Mm -hmm. Like you were going to tell them all about you so that you hoped that they took away the reputation or the goals that you had met or the roster of clients you had worked on and didn't necessarily require that on the spot thinking that then would show them that you actually have the skills and the expertise and the chops really to do the work. So that's something we pride ourselves on, you know, to give us a little plug here. But also I think it's just smart because right away you get them talking and when you're able to hear their biggest concerns and they're willing to share that, that is really like the money. That's what you want to hear from people so that then you can find the right way to solve them, their problems for them and also be on the same page from the very beginning. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And actually, um, one of my first uh, couple of clients um, when I left P&G was actually working with agencies that want to pitch P&G mm, work mm -hmm. and helping them restructure their approach and their pitch to be more of just what you said. Because I can't tell you how many pitch decks we got where the first 10 slides was, how cool are we, agency, <laughs> you know, uh -huh. X. And I'm like, uh, gotcha. I mean, I could have gotten this from your website. You know, mm -hmm. some of you give me some context. What are you going to do for me? Mm -hmm. But it takes way too long to get into it. And by that time, I'm kind of like exhausted from the whole entire thing. So 
stating up, up very quickly up front what you're going to be able to um, to be able to do for them mm-hmm. um, in exactly the way that you said or having getting them in a conversation about what their business challenges are shows that you're interested in forming a relationship, not just in doing transactional work. So I think that is really, really good point. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So the second way to communicate effectively to influence is to plan your engagement like it is a pitch. April, I'll let you take this one. Sure. And pitching is a business term, just so we're all on the same page, for creating a short and concise rationale for why someone should choose you or choose to work with you or your company, all of those things. And I know Anne uses it a lot in the PR world when we're reaching out to media outlets that pitches, again, the reason why someone should choose you or choose to work with you. Also, for context, you see it on shows like Shark Tank, where businesses are trying to get money from the sharks in exchange for equity in their business. So regardless of the context, there's a framework that works well when you're communicating to effectively influence if you think about it as if it is a pitch. Mm-hmm. So number one, lead with who you are and your intended impact. So Anne just made the point about not having 10 slides that just talk about you talk at the viewer as you or same thing in your pitch, right? Don't start out all of it about you. Say very quickly so that they're oriented in why you're in the room or in the conversation Mm -hmm. or whatever, but then quickly get to what your impact will be if you work together, which is on their terms. Then you want to give the relevant context to reinforce the magnitude of the impact as well as why you're the best person to solve it. So you've already said, I'm X, This is what I'm going to do for you, and here's why I have the chops to be able to do it and why you should work with me. Then you can get into what you need from the recipient. And one of the ways that I always lead into this is you know your business better than I ever could because you're in it day to day. Therefore, we are going to need X, Y, and Z from you. Shall we continue the conversation? And that is a good point to, to do that because they've already heard why you should be the choice. And then you're saying also, though, I'm going to need your help and assistance because I can't know everything. And then finally, why is it of value to them? So what are they going to get from it? You know, what can they expect? This might be specifically to the person. Like we were always big fans of selling the client contact on why we could make them look good, take work off their plate, et cetera, Mm -hmm, et cetera. mm -hmm. It might be the organization at large. You know, we have experience in this field. Therefore, we have intel on whatever. You know, what is that tangible value that you're going to create for them? And this pitch should be very, very concise. So we are talking like three to five minutes or if it's in writing, a few concise paragraphs. Everything else will be reinforced or answered in the question and answer part, and that usually comes after. So you only get so much attention span from them, right, which is why it's so important to orient it from their perspective and only speak to things that are going to reinforce why you are the right choice given the situation or challenge or whatever, you know, phase they're in. So once you do that three to five minute pitch, you should absolutely be able to anticipate one that you'll have questions, but also what those questions might look like and then be ready with responses. And honestly, you get a lot better at this, well, both the pitch, but also the answering questions as you go, because you start to get the same types of questions over and over, which makes you a lot more comfortable in these types of situations and the ability to anticipate. But even so, you can't possibly cram into that three to five minute pitch 
every single thing that you are ever going to talk about with this client or every single need they could ever want or goal they want to achieve or anything like that. So be ready for the questions. Definitely don't try to overload your pitch which, with everything but the kitchen sink and everything you think that they're going to ask you. And then also, I always say, leave some softball questions, which these are the ones, you know, we're talking about pitches. We're talking about softballs. But <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway. Usually you give me the eye roll for that. I know. I know. It was very cheesy, but it's true. So these are like, if you think about a softball, right, you lob the ball. And these are the ones that are easy to identify, like how long is this going to take or who have you done this before or ones that are more low-hanging fruit where you can give additional context or fairly easy answers. And this will help you get more comfortable in those situations as well because your confidence will grow when you start to get some of these things that are easy because you are the professional at whatever it is you're offering, or we hope so. And so therefore, these are the types of questions that are easy to answer. And then lastly, it's important to consider timing, setting, familiarity with your audience and your message track when you're communicating to influence. It doesn't mean that you prep all this and then you wait for the exact right time when a client might need you or, you know, you wait if they do a, a Super Bowl ad, you wait for the football season to come around. It's not that kind of waiting or looking for the right time because normally there isn't one. But you have to think about when you're engaging, what might they be going through? What phase or quarter of the business are they in? Or what might mm -hmm. the challenges be? Or how crowded is the marketplace? Think in context of all the things that are going on in their world. And then prepare that talk track or that pitch to be able to respond to that. Because a client is going to shut down the minute you walk in that room, I promise, because I've been there so many times on so many teams. When you come in and you don't acknowledge the fact that they've obviously just run in from another meeting or you've caught them off guard approaching them at a cocktail party or you've emailed for the 45th time with mm. no response, you know, you have to really think about what might be going on in their life because while your business is the most important thing to you, it's not the most important thing to them and it's probably not even in the top five or ten. Yeah, so you better make it one, right? Exactly. And that's and, and I think you made so many good points there. And the one that I just really want to really, really like call out here is being clear, concise, and to the point. Mm -hmm. I, it's so easy for us to try to anticipate everything that they're going to want to know and then try to like cram it all in. And what happens 100% of the time is you end up diluting mm -hmm. the whole message where then the person is so confused. They're like, Either just like, okay, whatever, just, you know, either dismiss like it because they, they have to think too hard or, um, you know, they, they're, it's like, what do you want from me again? Like, it's it's just too hard. You don't want your, your the recipient to have to think too hard. So being very clear, very direct and not being like the wishy-washy, like, I mean, it's really important to choose language that is very, very specific when you're, when you're doing this. And definitely resist the urge of just putting it all in there. It, it's just not going to be conducive to being able to create that interaction. Because if you do your job well, that starts the cascading questions and engagement. And, you know, we talked about that um, in, in multiple episodes about, you know, your quote unquote elevator pitch too. Like if you only had five minutes in an elevator, it's a slow moving elevator with somebody, what would you tell them? And how would you be able to say that in a way that is engaging and interesting that they'd say, I'd like, I'd like to know more. That is your objective here is that they want to know more. Um, so I think that's the part I really wanted to, to, to pull out of there. But I thought all of that was really, really highly valuable. Well, and I'll give another one that I say often on the show, which is 
stop talking. Yeah, just stop talking. <laughs> give give your spiel and stop talking. Yeah, let them respond. You even if there's a, yeah, even if there's a quiet minute or two, do not fill it. Just stop talking. Yeah, stop talking. Let them respond. I like that. All right. So the third part of how to communicate effectively to influence is to show you're invested in a shared outcome. And this really becomes about expressing from your own personal standpoint, whether it's through some stories or examples of work you've done for other people um, or your own personal vision of what motivates you. This is all about sharing those things in a way that shows that you are personally invested in what you are asking for in this influencing conversation. And really, really important here is to make sure that these are true. Authenticity is key here. So for example, I am gluten-free. I would never walk into a brewery and tell them how much I love the beer or how much I think this beer is amazing. (laughs) I can't drink it. (laughs) I mean, I just can't. So that would not be an authentic passion for me to share with them in, in a context of trying to get business. It. You know, they would see right through it as soon as they offered me a beer and I can't drink it, right? Um, but I, what I can say with a lot of passion with, and a lot of authenticity is I know how to help brands in a crowded space elevate themselves. That's what my passion is about. And that's how I can help them be able to create something within their business that truly is meaningful. All right. So be very careful about over expounding on certain things that are just not personally true. Also because you will get caught in your lie at some point. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember I was working on the Women's Tennis Association, and luckily I was very, very overt at the beginning that I had never played tennis before. Otherwise, I can tell you right now, it would have been like another two or three minutes, and I would have been (laughs) called out. Now, on the other side of that, I was enthusiastic to learn, especially to learn what I needed to know in order to fulfill the project. But it quickly became apparent to them that one, I had enough adjacent experience, and two, I was there to do their brand architecture, which they had no idea how to do. So it worked out. But I just always think about that when I'm like, I could have gotten in so much trouble. Exactly. and But you could still show appreciation for the sport and what they're doing, right? Oh, yeah. So it's just on a different level. So I think that's a really great example. And I think you brought up a really good point because, you know, a lot of people won't want to do that because they're afraid, well, if I don't like it, they're not going to want me, mm-hmm. right? One of my really good friends who was in an agency, she was gluten-free as well. She got a job in communications at Anheuser-Busch, right? You know, so, I mean, <laughs> they loved her because she was passionate about the work that she was going to go do mm-hmm. and how that was going to help them. And it's because a lot of people, and if I go back to my Shark Tank example, and you'll hear this if you watch enough episodes, which I think I've seen 95% of them, but every once in a while, I see one that I haven't seen before. <laughs> but that being said, you'll see a lot of them say, I invest in people. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a really good lesson across the board, is if you are showing passion, if you are showing intent and in, in, in your desire to create impact, if you're showing a vision that you're creating for yourself and for the business as a whole, or for the people as a whole that you're talking to, people like... They like that. That's what forms the connections. Mm-hmm. That's what makes this relational. So regardless of the product or the service you might be pitching at that time or the actual like, you know, thing that you want in that moment, regardless of what that is, and they might not actually want to buy that in that moment, they might choose to invest in you and be like, you know what, let's see where this goes mm-hmm. and then we'll see where, you know, we go with that. And that's a really, really important thing to understand 
that it's not just about what that thing is in the moment. It's about also selling yourself. I talk about this a lot in personal brand. In order for people to be able to engage with you on a relational level so that when you guys come together, you create a more desirable impact or for both of you guys. And and that elevates whatever you guys are working on, both personally and from a business standpoint. Well, and I mean, we are relational people, right? And the the whole whole thing about that is that it's a two-sided situation, right? Right. So you need to learn from them just as much as they need to learn from you, which is why that model of agency saying we know best was never going to work. Because one, you can't know everything, but two, a relationship is based on the give and take and the back and forth. And so that mm-hmm. tennis example actually leveled the playing field significantly because I was honest that I didn't know really much of anything about tennis other than like what a ball and a racket look like in a court. Um, (laughs) I didn't even know there were different types of courts. I do now. Um, But they were able to educate me so that when I was building the brand architecture, I was able to infuse some of the language. And that made it much more reciprocal as a relationship versus me coming in thinking I knew it all. Yeah, that's interesting because that was also... um a interesting conversation I had when I was switching from my R&D world into my products research role. And my very first boss, who I still love to this day, Glenn Williams, when I did my interview, and there was a lot of other people who were interviewing for this role, because it was a a pretty prized communications role, because it was a male grooming one. And um, me coming from, you know, an R&D world, I didn't know communications. Mm -hmm. But I was in male grooming R&D, right? Mm -hmm. And my boss was... um, New communications, fabulous in in that world, didn't know male grooming. And he looked at me and goes, wow, we're a match made in heaven. Mm -hmm. So I won that job ahead of everybody else um, who was actually better at communications than I was because I shared my passion for male grooming. And I knew how to reach that consumer. And I knew how to get them to engage. And I knew what they were looking for. And I knew how to... So all of that like experience and understanding and um, passion for this consumer was what led me to get that job, even though I had like very little communications experience. Mm. So yeah, it's a good example. And I think also to, to that point too, it's it's part of the having these influencing conversations is making it very easy for them to say yes. Like we said before... You know, you don't want them to be thinking too hard, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why it's very important to have like that pitch and a format in order to address somebody, but also give them like an irresistible offer, right? So like if you're talking in the in the world of, you know, client services and that sort of thing, sometimes it's like a money back guarantee or, you know, um, you know something in that, that respect that kind of takes the risk out of it a little bit for them. But sometimes if it's like in the example I gave about like expanding your role, it could be like, let's try this for a couple months. If mm-hmm. you don't like it, we can go back. I mean, what's, what's it hurt to try a couple of months, you know? Or I'll take all the responsibility for this. You won't have to think about a thing. I'm, I'm going to take this all on me in order to do this. So it's not going to be, you know, any anything on, on you that you're going to have to do, uh, deal with this. So these ideas of trial periods or test and learn periods, like we say when you're actually doing branding and marketing work, and we highly suggest it is really, really beneficial way to make it easy for somebody to say yes when you're having these influencing conversations as well. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that more than anything else, back to the point of these people having busy lives, when you give them something they can't refuse and they accept in the moment, that's when you know you've won. Yeah, exactly right. And that is your ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. Although I would say that 
um, sometimes, you know, they're not going to say yes right away. Right. And that's fine. Give them some time to think about it and then set up a, a time to follow back up, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. So the fourth element of how to communicate effectively to influence is appreciate, reciprocate, and pay it forward. April, you want to take this one? Oh, yes. I love this one mm-hmm. because I think it is just, I mean, I can't give enough examples from my personal life and business life and just places where this has well, paid it forward for me in various ways. And I think, unfortunately, and this kind of goes, we've talked about networking a lot on the show and, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know and all of those relational type of things we've been talking about today. But I think, unfortunately, sometimes we forget this piece because we do get wrapped up in our own agenda or we get wrapped up in what comes next or we finish up a project and we kind of move on and we don't really think too much about it. But really, we think it's so fundamentally important to acknowledge and show gratitude for people that have helped you progress yourself, your work, your ideas, your point of view. I mean, really, there is no I in business, right? You, there's there always a we. There is an I in business. Well, okay. There, there's your joke for the day. <laughs> You're really good one. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, but there's also a you in business. Oh, geez. Okay. Anyway. Um, I almost said there's no I in team, which is what I should have said, and then we could have avoided that. But in any case, (laughs) it takes a we, right? And so it is important that you show appreciation because that really does get remembered, and then it tends to recycle itself into more opportunities. Mm -hmm. And part of the networking piece, right, is continuing the relationship, staying top of mind. You know, you show the appreciation once whatever it is is over, you know, and you want to continue to follow up. But you wouldn't believe how many times over the years former clients have changed companies and mm-hmm. come back or a former coworker has recruited me to another job or now that Ian and I have our own thing and just within the past few months, it's been crazy, the influx of opportunities that have come our way. But a lot of it is referral or people we've worked with before or people who said, hey, you should talk to Ian in April, you know, all of those types of things. So it really is just so important and you never know how it's going to come back to you, but it always does. Mm-hmm. Now with that, I will say this is where authenticity also comes into play again, because if you just phone it in, if you do the formulaic like, oh, send them a bottle of champagne, cheers, thanks for the opportunity. That's not what we're talking about here. It's about authentically continuing that relationship and making sure that you appreciate in the right way, in a way that is meaningful to whoever that client or contact or colleague league or whatever is. And then the other thing we would say is reciprocate when you can. This is another part of networking, right? So you have to think about the fact that influencing is really a virtuous cycle. And so when those people that have helped you ask you for help with their agenda, this is something you should seriously consider because this, again, helps reinforce the emotional connection. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. Definitely don't make it quid pro quo. That is not the thing that we're saying here. It's not that you give someone something and then you immediately on the heels of that ask for something in return. Not what we're talking about here. But again, if you go back to authenticity and having meaningful relationships, this shouldn't really ever be an uncomfortable situation because the people that are asking things of you are people you've probably asked things of, and they've all been things that are well within fill in the blank, your wheelhouse, your characteristics, the way you handle situations, who you are as a a person, all of those types of things. So when this is done right, when those asks come, you're like, oh, well, why wouldn't I recommend so-and-so, right? 
But again, the, the point of this entire point is that appreciation and reciprocating and paying it forward, yes, it puts good karma out there, which we always talk about and we've already said we believe 100% in karma, but also it it really puts the goodwill out there in a way that it will come back to you and it will go forward to others. And it just puts you, I think, in a space, and it does for me, where I feel good about what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis because this is such a big part of the way that we influence at fourth rate people. Yeah, I think that's right on. And it reminds me, again, of another story, um, another agency story where um, you know, they had done a lot of work to in order to get um, business from us. Um, so they had to do a lot of influencing work in order to win our business. And then I helped them win other business because of the, the, such a dramatic way that they were able to accomplish the work. Then when I left P&G, they help me get business, mm-hmm. you know, back. And so it's like, you know, this constant state of um, relational, like, I'm going to help you, you're going to help me. But it all stems from having these influencing conversations mm-hmm. because you're driving value for the other person based on something they need and they want and you're helping them achieve their goals and dreams. When you have this really good virtuous relationship, they want to do the same for you. Mm-hmm. And like like you said, like, you know, when – you had people take you to new jobs. You had, you know, new clients give you like, or clients give you more work or reward you with more work or spread your name around. Like those are all based on influencing conversations. I mean, we use the broad term of called networking, mm-hmm. you know, in order to kind of describe like the broad action of what's going on. But really at the heart of it is having influencing conversations and communications that are driving that value between the two of you and creating the those relationships. And that's why it's so important Never forget where you came from. If you get so tunnel vision that all you care about is your own agenda, this is going to break down every time. It's not going to work because people are like, well, dang it. I did all this stuff for them and I ask them for one thing and they're not willing to do anything back for me. Like you break that relationship. That doesn't mean that you should be like, like you said, the quid pro quo of like, all right, fine. I have to do it because they did something for me. At least find a way to be able to do something for them in a way that's beneficial in order to help them achieve their goals and dreams as well. And then help somebody else. Mm-hmm. So when somebody reaches out to you who's just fresh out or, you know, has, you know, something, I mean, just new coming out of the woodwork, take the time to listen because somebody did that for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so I think those are really, really important to kind of create that aura around you that people are going to want to to engage with. And then that's just going to help you move your dreams and goals further down the uh, the path and help you achieve them even quicker. Yeah. And I mean, I'll give one final anecdote here that is not related in any way to the work Ann and I do. But um, I recently had a lot of dental work done, which is always awesome. Um, <laughs> I'm like notorious for dental issues and, and sinus issues if we want to go there. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. Ear, nose, and throat, right? So yeah, ear, nose, and throat, all connected. So anyway, um, I had an emergency right before we were going on vacation where I had like significant tooth pain, right? And everybody knows that's ever had it. It's, well, in my mind, it's the most debilitating pain you can ever have because it never goes away no matter what you do. And so I go into the dentist's office like winging a prayer, like, please, please do something for me. And they're like, I don't know, like you're leaving in less than 24 hours. I'm not sure what we can do. And, you know, I'm like, okay, well, is there anybody that can help me? And so the doctor left the room and he came back and he said, Dr. Malayala is going to take care of it. He's going to see you um, this evening and then he'll either perform the root canal or do it first thing in the morning. And so long story short, 
I was in this poor man's office after hours. They did all the scans. You know, we're the only people in the building. It's like 7 p.m. or whatever. And then I'm back at 7 a.m. the next morning, again, before hours for him, to have this root canal done. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, why would this person help me, right? Like it wasn't Mm -hmm. even my normal dentist in the office. I did not know this referring doctor whatsoever. And so of course, you know, I'm in branding and marketing. I'm like, I'm going to write him a really good review. And so I get ready to leave and he asked me for the review, which was kind of a funny moment. And I was like, I was already going to do it. But then I was like, you know, I'm really appreciative. I don't feel like this is commonplace much anymore, especially given in the, you know, the world we're in where there's so many other health issues and that sort of thing. And he's like, you know what? It's because of those guys, like when I moved to the United States and I started my practice and, you know, I needed mentors, the two doctors in my office were the ones that really helped him out. And Mm -hmm. he's like, anytime they pick up the phone and call me now, I'll do anything to help. And I was, I mean, again, blown away because he was just kind and caring and went above and beyond in that way. But also I was like, man, like if this isn't like right in my face, an example of what we talk about on the podcast, But again, Mm -hmm. it was because he had someone there that had been there for him and he felt he owed so much to them that no matter what it is or who it is, he always does it. That's a fantastic story. That's fantastic. I love that. So just to summarize how to communicate effectively to influence. First, know your audience. So remember, influencing is all about giving the recipient something they want in order to get something you want. So Inherently, your influencing approach should be more focused on what they will get out of it versus why you need it or why you want it or why you think you deserve it. Next is to plan your engagement like it's a pitch. So this should be communicated in less than three to five minutes or a few concise paragraphs. Everything else is reinforced in the Q&A that usually comes after. Third is to show you're invested in a shared outcome. So here's where you tell your personal stories or you give personal examples or you express a personal vision, whatever demonstrates that you are personally invested. And then finally, appreciate, reciprocate, and pay it forward. This helps you solidify the emotional connection and it creates a virtuous relationship. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. All right. Our next segment is in the trenches, which we're now affectionately calling it ITT. So this is where we give real world examples specific to industries and situations, but these have broader application. So you should be able to see how you're going to internalize this for your own business or for yourself. So our first in the trenches question, what is the biggest mistake you see people make when communicating with an intent to influence? This is a very, very good question. So there's there's going to be two things I say here. So first is when people try to manipulate with emotional reactions, right? This happens a lot of times personally. It also happens though more often than not in business as well. And this is when, you know, somebody gives you something or says something that you aren't particularly happy about, or it's not what you want to hear, or it's not going to be what's forwarding your own agenda. You can tend to get defensive. Um, Sometimes if they say, no, I just can't do that right now, you like just relentlessly push. (laughs) And it's it's like an excessive pushiness. 
Um, my ones that my you know kids love to use is when they try to shame you or guilt you <laughs> um, into trying to do it instead. Um, or just a general trying to get like the recipient to feel sorry for you. Um, it's just not a really good way of progressing the relationship in a way that's going to be conducive to you meeting your your goals and dreams. And so it's really important in those situations that you kind of you know let it go for a moment and be able to take a step back and reevaluate what went wrong there. All right. So resist the urge to try to emotionally manipulate people into um, doing your bidding or getting them to do what you want them to do. That goes back to what it, what we were saying at the beginning, where you could probably make people do something that you want them to do, and it can work in a very short term period, but you better be prepared for the repercussions that's going to come from that. And that's usually a, a, a fractured relationship. And the second one I'll say here, and um, I see this happen a lot of times too, and especially in a, um, the motivation of trying to show why they should choose you, is you throw everybody else underneath the bus. Or you try to um, minimize somebody else in order to make yourself look better. This does not work at all. And it, I mean, we see it all the time in, in, you know, when politicians are trying to campaign, right? We're going to get ready for that again coming in November, where it's more of like, you know, you should choose me because this other person is really bad. This is not a way to build relationships that are conducive to having really productive influencing communications. That just is like, okay, I'm going to choose the, the least of the worst, if you will, so make sure that when you are promoting yourself, you're promoting your virtue, your assets. You can speak to the fact that, hey, we've done this better than anybody else has done it. Or you can speak to the fact of like, you know, I have, you know, 25 years of experience in this and I don't think anybody else can match my experience. But when you start making it personal about other people or you start trying to make other people look bad so you make you look good, that's where you need to draw the line. Yeah, I mean, I think when this happens, the first thing people think is, number one, what is that person going to say when I'm not here? Yeah, no kidding. And then number two, it just leads automatically to a sense of distrust that then, like you said, it just it becomes what it is. It's no longer going to work. Yeah, or just like reluctant compliance, right? Yeah. And so you're not going to get the best out of them anyway. Right. So, yeah. And so my biggest mistake, I will say, is moving too fast or trying to rush things. And so mm -hmm. I talked before about the agency tendency to come in and say, this is how we're going to do it. This is how you should do it. You know, all those types of things. But one of the other things that I realized as I matured in my career and had been exposed more, especially in like new business situations, because that's obviously where a lot of influence has to take place, is the owner in the room, if you will, of the conversation and the potential business would rush along and try to push their sales down the person's throat, mm -hmm. but not really hear or be listening for any type of response. And so number one, I was always like, but how do we know that works for every single person was always in my head. And what came out of that is there is no one-size-fits-all approach, period, the end. And then number two, I always felt like this person would leave with the feeling that everything went great. And mm. I would leave the room and I'd be like, no, you just talked at them for an hour as fast as you possibly could so that we, you didn't have to answer any questions. I mean, it was like the worst case study, right? But the whole idea here is please take the time. Take the time to make your points. That's why that 
you know, pitch or elevator speech is so important of having your three to five minutes of what you want to say and what you really want them to hear. And then spend the rest of the time listening to them and then in conversation with them. Because you can't rush any meaningful relationship, right? Like you don't go on a first date or most people don't and then marry the person the next day. It's just not how relationships work. And so we're saying the same thing here, which is have the respect, spend the time and really get to know who you're talking to so that you can be thoughtful and authentic in your response instead of trying to just sell the business. Yeah, I think that just takes me back from when we first met, right? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And I was oh, like, yeah. and when I use analogy a lot, you know, relationships are kind of like datings or marriages, regardless of the intensity of the relationship. Yeah. But the process is very similar. Like when me and April met for the first time in that coffee shop, like after three hours, it's like, all right, we're ready. What are we doing together? <laughs> and April's like, hold on. I need time to process. So I had to wait. I'm like, okay, well, what does that look like? You know? And so, I mean, and, and I think that's really important that you honor the other person's need in order to be able to process and to be able to feel courted. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and sometimes it takes a little bit more engagement and, you know, and, and those sorts of things. That doesn't mean you have to leave them alone necessarily because I didn't leave April alone to like kind of ponder it herself. I was like, okay, when are we going to get together and meet next? Maybe we should talk about this and that and the other. And she's like, okay, already. Okay. (laughs) So, I mean, there's a little bit, it was a little bit like, I don't think over the top pushiness, Mm. but you know, just like, you know, process kind of moving the game forward because there's usually, you know, that in, in every relationship, I think it was where like some people are more active and wanting to move it forward. And some Mm. people are like, you know, the processors and, you know, and both work very, very well together. If you can honor each person's space in order to be able to, um, to come to the decision together. Cause when you can come to the decision together um, and somebody's always going to be a little bit behind the other. I mean, it's not like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, miraculously we're all together, but it does, you know, happen over time. Like, and so I think that's a really important point that you made about, you know, not rushing, you know, through and trying to get to an answer or trying to get through it and totally ignoring, you know, the whole like, other people in the room and the vibe and the places they're at and, and that sort of thing. And really taking the time to court people as you're trying, especially for the big asks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and I just couldn't ever believe, like, you would feel the energy in the room get really tense and then you would feel people sit back and disengage. And I was like, how does no one else see what's see happening? Time. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. Very good story. All right. Our second in the trenches question. I have been trying to get a hold of this person to have a conversation, but they always seem to be too busy. What should I do? All right. So as we kind of alluded to already, um, sometimes influencing conversations are not always on your schedule. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's the unfortunate piece about it because there's another human involved here, right? Um, So we're going to give you a few ways uh, that work for us about getting that person's attention. And some of these are geared more towards, okay, you you already know the person and you're just like maybe trying to get on their calendar and they're really busy. Or maybe it's like more of a cold um, engagement and you don't really know the person and you're trying to kind of like engage them for the first time. So some of these work more for one and the other and some of them can work both ways. So the first thing to do is uh, try contacting someone else from their team uh, and to set up a meeting. So, you know, a lot of people have either like an admin or assistant or a coordinator. Try to find out who that person is that is the gatekeeper um, and try to make them your ally. All right. So that means you have to have an influencing conversation with this person. You're not going to try to bulldoze this person over to mm-hmm. try to get to, you know, the, uh, the person on the other side of the gate. You need to also have an influencing conversation with that person because a lot of times these people have a lot of clout 
with the, the people that they are representing. So make sure you honor that. The other um, way that you can try to get their attention, especially if this is in more of an email or a written format, is make sure your subject line is something that will get noticed without sounding spammy, okay? So this usually requires you to do like your research in order to highlight something that would be of interest to a recipient or some way that you may know each other, something that's going to get them to be like, oh, this is not just like a random email that I'm getting in my inbox. So for example, one thing that we see a lot, all right, do you want a higher performing website? Okay, so this has got to be like (laughs) 90% of the cold calls we get. Like if somebody actually would just actually look at what we do, they would see no, because that's what we do for a living. <laughs> but we get that, and then they keep responding back and back and back, okay? I got one the other day that said, I have a new design of your website to show you. Can oh, I yeah. have 14 minutes? 14 minutes, 14. yeah. 14. <laughs> Just 14? Okay. Um, now, one that would get our attention, if we didn't already have a fabulous team that does this, um, your About Me page is not SEO optimized, all right? Now, when you actually get into the email please demonstrate that you actually have looked at their About Me page. Mm. Give them specific examples of what you think this is. Do not just say, oh, and if you're interested, um, contact me and I will take you through my analysis. I'm like, everybody knows that that's a bait and switch, okay? So give them something of value within that email that is going to let them see that, hey, you spent some time and you invested some time and you're interested in their business. Another one, um, and I was famous for this, and actually all of us were famous at this, um, famous for this at P&G, is that we would catch our leadership in between meetings and do what we called the walk with them. (laughs) So we'd basically hover outside the door in between meetings and we'd be like, hey, can um, I walk with you to your next meeting? Mm -hmm. Or can I walk with you to get your lunch? Or, um, you know, wherever they were going next. You, and that's why it's so important that you only um, you make sure your pitch is short and mm-hmm. succinct and to the point. Because you only have five minutes, right, in that case, if you're lucky, right? Now, the only caveat I would say is just don't follow them into the bathroom because that's just super creepy and weird. And that has happened to me before. And that's happened to me before, too. <laughs> um, so um, those are ways that, you know, you could be able to do that. And sometimes it involves you kind of going out your way. Like sometimes I've walked my leadership to the car. Can I walk you to your car? Mm-hmm. Gives me a few extra minutes. So um, those are some techniques I've used. April, what yeah. about you? Yeah. So for me, um, I always say too, like I already mentioned, the it's not what you know, it's who you know. So look for people that you know in common. Mm-hmm. And this is not obviously what this is less of probably when you already know them. This is probably more of one where you have someone you want to get in touch with or you've lost touch with or that sort of thing. Um, but the world is really built around obviously who you know, and there are common connections somewhere. I can just assure you in most cases that help you warm the door. And so In doing that, I mean, all of the rules of networking apply. Don't cold call the person that knows them out of nowhere after years. You know, don't give some big ask like, can you help me get a job with this person? All of those types of things. But you can get creative in this way. And honestly, social media and especially LinkedIn can really help you here because you type in the person's name and you can see who else you might know in common. Mm -hmm. And so that can be a good starting place. And so I think... You know, Anne's point is always 
don't just say, well, I don't know them. They didn't respond and walk away. And so I think this is just another one that can be a really good way to think through, okay, if I can't get to them, you know, yes, you can do their admin and those types of things if you can find those connections, or you can just find other people that you have in common that then can maybe help you circumvent the process and get to the top of the list. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good one. And also, I think just networking events in general. So yeah. when, if you can find an event that they're going to be at without sounding super creepy and stalking them, <laughs> um, you may be able to get a few minutes in a more casual environment. It allows yeah. you to make that um, that introduction or, or ask somebody, you know, to make that introduction for you, mm-hmm. right? Like you said, but don't come out of the woodwork like as a cool call. But, you know, don't hesitate to say, hey, would you mind making an introduction? I think I could really... Um, you know, benefit this business and then you having an influential conversation with the person that you're asking to make an introduction. Like, mm-hmm. I hope you guys are starting to see these are all about influencing conversations, which could start happening very automatically mm-hmm. when you start doing them on a regular basis and you start practicing this whole pitching method. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, it, and don't worry because it doesn't sound manipulative if you're doing it right. And if you're coming from a place of authenticity, especially once you start practicing them and it doesn't sound overly salesy, mm-hmm. but you actually have to practice that. Yeah, I mean, I remember growing up as a kid and we were never allowed to leave anywhere without thanking the people who were hosting the mm-hmm. event, right? And so that can be get really awkward, especially when you're a kid and they're adults of having to find them inside the party. But it set me up really well for success as an adult because it naturally forced me to do exactly what we're talking about here, which is to go up, have the the confidence to speak to them, have something meaningful to say, even if it's just thank you, Mr. and Mrs. for having whatever. But being a presence and part of that helps you build the influence there from, from that point forward. And so I think the networking events always remind me of that whenever I'm in those mm-hmm. rooms. But you should always be picking out at any networking event the four or five people that you want to like maybe practice on or people mm-hmm. that you haven't talked to in a long time. Like seek out who those people are and make yourself almost an agenda. Number one, it makes it less uncomfortable. Number two, it lets you practice influence. Leave your top person for last in those instances mm-hmm. so you've already warmed up. Don't have too many drinks. We've talked about that in previous yeah, episodes too. Maximum. Yeah, two drink maximum. But then, you know, learn to work the room that way and that will increase your ability to influence just overall. I agree. That's a really good point. And, you know, why we have everybody, maybe they can vote on the fact of why is it called a gatekeeper but warm the door? Oh, since I we had that back coming up. I'm just, I mean, I feel like it's that one commercial like that they have on right now, which I, th- I think is very clever. Yeah. Um, Anne wanted to say the doorkeeper. And then I had warmed the door and told her it's gatekeeper. And then she said, well, then why are you warming the door? Maybe you should warm, warm the, the gate. gate. Yeah. I, I thought it was a really like, Anyway, she yeah. thinks she's clever sometimes. I am super clever. <laughs> you started it anyway. All right. So our third in the trenches question. I get so nervous having these conversations. I know it impacts my effectiveness. What mm-hmm. can I do? Now, besides planning and practicing, which April just talked about (laughs) extensively, and I thought was a really, really good suggestion, we're going to give you a few tips that we think um, could help you based on what's worked really well for us. So the first one I'll say is I use Brendan Bruchard's method from High Performance Habits. I give him all the credit for this. And that's about intentionally thinking about how I want to show up in the conversation, and especially in transitions of conversations Mm -hmm. too, right? So a lot of times we kind of get like we move from one place to the other and we don't think about how we want to transition our mindset and our our, our style, if you will. Um, We talk about our our, our appearance as part of our personal brand. We don't think about how to transition that from one place to the next. And we, we, we really need to start doing that in order to be able to influence 
very, very effectively. Um, it He uses the example very um, transactionally of like somebody who's coming home from work, a parent coming home from work, and then going into being a parent, right? Mm-hmm. But this happens in moments of the day too, when you're working on one piece of work and then you have to transition to another piece of work. And it's really helpful within the transitions, but also in preparation for going into these meetings, you think about how you want to show up. Yeah. So for me, it's like, okay, if I'm going to be nervous, I'm thinking about like, okay, I want to I want to come off as confident. I want to come off as self-assured. I want to come off as relational. So if that is the case, what do I need to do in order to prepare myself in order to, to be able to go in and, and feel that way, right? Whether it's um, in the structure of how I'm creating the pitch, whether it is in what I'm wearing. So I feel that way, whether it's, you know, in in tips and tricks I have to use, like having somebody in the room that I trust. I mean, whatever you need to do in order to show up that way, but sometimes just declaring it in your head to say, I'm going to show up as confident, your brain starts thinking about the fact that I'm just going to be confident, Mm -hmm. right? It's it's just amazing how just declaring it kind of transitions your brain into a whole new set of, of circumstances and actions that makes you show up that way. So I think that's a really, really good one. I always think about what could go wrong and then I plan for that. That doesn't mean I go down in a downward spiral <laughs> to think about every single thing that could, could possibly go wrong. But I do think about like, okay, for example, when we used to have, um, I used to do leadership meetings in, at P&G, they always give you like a 30-minute time slot. By the day of, that time slot was down to maybe five if you didn't get pushed off. So that's why it's so important to think about like, what's my pitch? And my pitch should be no more than five or 10 minutes. And so that I can make sure that I walk out of that room and I have said what I came to say. I've showed up the way I want to show up. And then if I have other time, I can then be able to have the conversations and let people ask the questions and go from there. Well, and I think this one, and I'm stealing my own thunder a little bit here, but I I think your point is so good about what could go wrong in planning for it versus going into a spiral. Because the mistake I see oftentimes is people plan everything to like the word Right. Or they memorize their entire speech or and they get up and they're very robotic. And so if any little thing isn't how they pictured it in their head, they can't adapt. Yep. And they're dead in the water at that point. So I think it's really good to think about it in a healthy way around like, you know, the big boss could be late. Someone else will be called into a meeting. How am I going to follow up with them? I might have less time than I anticipated. Like the actual real things that can happen and do often happen so that you learn to be flexible in the moments. And then, like you said, have, you know, the worst case scenario worked out. Whereas if you only have five minutes, what will you say? Yeah. And that's all about message tracking and making sure your pitch is really, really tight. And I think that leads to the other one too, which is I always make eye contact, mm-hmm. right? It, mm-hmm. it it feels so counterintuitive, and I know there's a lot of people when they're you know they're teaching present you know presentations and like speaking in front of people that they'll say, oh no, you look over the audience. They think that you're looking at them. It's like no, look exactly at the audience. Mm-hmm. Look into their eyes. I guarantee you. A lot of the anxiety you feel is going to be washed away because when you see that person, you're going to see them as human, mm-hmm. right? These are just humans that you're talking to. Now, it takes your brain a little while to kind of trigger that, so it takes some practice with it. But when you can be relational with people, it starts becoming a lot more comfortable versus like, hey, I'm like standing up here and I'm on a you know on a stage with a spotlight on me and everything that I'm saying can be judged and scrutinized and this and that and the other. Really, what these people want to know is they want to know what you have to say. Mm-hmm. They'll judge you and scrutinize you no matter what. <laughs> I mean, that's always going to happen. So you might as well just make How sure. How reassuring it. I mean, well, it does. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's not going to be perfect. So if you're going up in your head that it has to be exactly perfect, kind of like yeah. you said about not being able to be flexible and having to like memorize everything down to the like the exact word, you could just, something's going to go wrong, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So make sure that what you plan for, make sure that what you're, 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 um, how you're presenting yourself and how you're engaging is human because if they see y- you as human, that part of like having it to be perfect actually kind of tends to go mm-hmm. away, right? So make sure that that that, that, from, that works for me. It works for me 100% of the time. Well, and I think the thing that it does, at least for me, is that when I make eye contact with somebody else, it brings me immediately out of my own head. It does. Yep. That's and really so I'm able too. to really focus and think about what I want them to hear versus, like you said, my style or what I'm saying. Which, I mean, to your point also around not having to be perfect and when things aren't perfect, the other part that I think is really important is learning how to get out of it. So like I was saying before about if one little thing goes wrong, you know, people that get caught up when they're presenting, I feel like it's always that. And so you have to have a way to react humanly, if that's even a a word. But in any case, you know where I'm going around, you know, acknowledge it or don't acknowledge it. Laugh at yourself or don't. But like find a way to be able to get yourself back into focus and move forward that doesn't disrupt the entire conversation. And I always think about the word grace in these situations. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've told the story on the show before of catching my high heel in a bag and almost falling in front of a room full of 30 FedEx execs, right? Like, yeah, that sucks. (laughs) But I still had to recover and run another half day session, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, my thing is not only the eye contact, but trying to connect with people in the room that I know. And depending on the atmosphere or the type of meeting or whatever, that kind of dictates what my commentary or what my recovery or whatever would be, right? So I might, you know, look for a comrade who I can throw a comment to if I feel like I'm getting flustered and have them say something. Or I might make a joke that could be at someone's expense in a harmless way, Mm -hmm. right? But something that's like a common joke in the room that everybody knows about my rapport with that other person or something everybody knows about them. Something that, especially if I'm feeling off or like I'm not quite hitting what I need to, I know what those triggers are, but then how do I counter trigger against it and working through those types of different things versus allowing it all to fall to pieces in whatever situation you're in? Yeah, I think that's right on. And you say also to um, to take the deep breaths, right? Yeah, because yeah. that that yeah. moves you from you know your kind of your fighter your fight or flight like path into the more like the processing path, mm-hmm. and so. It helps to just kind of calm the whole system down. Yep. So definitely use that. Make sure to breathe. And then for me, like I tend to talk really fast um, when Mm -hmm. I get in those situations is to make sure you're kind of taking your cadence back down. Yeah. And that also will help you to relax. Yes, exactly. All right. Our fourth in the trenches question. I am the youngest team member in the room. How do I compete with the combined years of experience surrounding me? April, why don't you take this one? You have a lot of experience this one. Yeah. So I, first of all, I can't, you know, miss an opportunity to use my favorite word, which is gumption. (laughs) No doubt about it. You have to be super, super brave, which is what this word has always embodied to me is like being able to get up and do it no matter how big the challenge. But the first thing I will say is if you do prepare and you follow what we've outlined so far, you'll be able to do it. It does take practice. It does take finding the comfortability. You know, repetitiveness is always a really good thing. Um, But really, the first thing is, you know, have gumption. And then 
kind of the, the way that I think about it is, first of all, prepare and practice. So I will say that, and I may have said this on the show before, I was notorious for kind of blacking out when I used to give presentations when I was young. And I voluntarily put myself in a lot of roles and situations where I was constantly achieving like the next bigger thing, right? Which then automatically when you have agency, right, you're not a big corporation. So you you have all the levels, but they're much more condensed. You don't have 150 directors. You have like three, you know? And so I was always charging ahead trying to get into those rooms, which then subsequently put me into those client situations. And so I learned early on that I would get so nervous that I basically wouldn't remember anything that I said. But I would practice so much that, and it, like, I still crack up about it. People would come up and be like, that was so good. And I'm like, thanks. And I literally wouldn't remember any of it. But that's the point of preparing practice, right? Is like, get so confident in what you're saying that you're not going to trip up, even if you momentarily are like, I can't believe I'm hearing what I'm talking about, which is worst case. That doesn't happen to everyone. The second thing I always say is, observe. So, as the youngest member or least experienced member in the room, There's plenty of people for you to learn from, both good and bad. And so don't try to talk over, don't try to like show your worth. Mm -hmm. Spend the time in the role you're in in that room. People know that you're younger, newer, whatever. So, I mean, I'm sorry, but the gig's up, right? (laughs) It's not like they, they don't know. So therefore, use that to your advantage and watch the interactions Look for people that you admire. Look for things that you never want to repeat or do and watch the dynamics as they play because when we talk about being able to influence, you have to learn to influence among all kinds of personalities. And that is one of the most challenging, most nuanced parts of this, I think, is getting really good at taking someone in quickly, being able to evaluate who they are, and then pushing your influence out in a way that's going to cause them to react or buy in or, or any of those types of things. So Watch and learn. I mean, you're basically in a classroom for yourself in those environments of watching those people and seeing how they do it. And then the other thing, though, I will say here is please don't fake it till you make it. I don't like that expression. It was used all the time when I was younger. You don't want to just mimic somebody else. That is not what I'm talking about here. I'm basically talking about running a focus group of one in a real life situation and observing to the point of thinking through things that you want to be like or that likely connect to your personality or ways you want to be able to communicate confidently. That's what I'm talking about. It's not taking Sue and mimicking everything she does and trying to be her. Mm -hmm. That that is not what I'm talking about here. And I also think in those situations, what I I tell our clients that we coach is that look for the other influencers in the room the stakeholders and the decision makers yep. and start figuring out who those people are yep. because that's going to help you generate a lot more um, support mm-hmm. as you're trying to get your own voice mm-hmm. um, in these rooms, right? So yep. start jotting those down. And sometimes I'll tell you guys, they're not necessarily the leaders. No. Um, but so you'll, you'll know who has the ear of those leaders and those are the people that you want to start figuring out how do you develop those relationships with. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's a good point too. Um, and then number three, I will say coming from experience, don't put too much pressure on yourself. In most cases, the meeting's not all about you. And so take advantage of that and take it as such and internalize what that means because While this may be the biggest presentation you've ever given or the first time you're up in front of 150 people or the first time that you're in a room with a CEO, all of that is important and you should absolutely think about that, internalize that, respect it, you know, respect it for what it is for you. But that's 
not necessarily the same level of importance as everybody else. So if you can put yourself in context of the situation that you're in, that can help you calm down, think about what your role really is, how much of a big deal it really is to those other ones in the room, all of those things so that you don't get up there and let's say you're just announcing, right, that the CEO is coming on stage in 30 minutes and get coffee until then, right? Like, you don't want to flub that. So think about that for what it is. It's just a quick announcement, but it gives you an opportunity to get up in front of people. So I think that's really important too, because I think one of the early things I did was put that much pressure on myself. Like it was the most important thing and I didn't want to screw up. Mm -hmm. And so that's paralyzing in and of itself. And you just got to think about it in terms of like, again, they know I'm younger they're probably applauding me for even taking a seat at this table. Think about it from that perspective and then be the role that you need to be without putting unnecessary pressure on yourself. And then the last thing I will say is learn from every experience and continue to push forward. I was always a big fan of this in coaching other people because my firm belief is that when you go beyond your typical, then the next things that happen that fall underneath that are that much easier every single mm -hmm. time. So when I think about, again, the first time I got up in front of a room that was over 100, it was all P&G folks, which had its own level of stress and anxiety for me. Um, you know, at one of our summits, I think it was like 150 or 175 people. But then after that, anything less than that was substantially easier for me. Mm -hmm. And so I think... Taking the moments for celebrating the fact that you got up and did it. I was never good at that. Then thinking about what would I do better next time and then putting it into context of what your role is each day helps you to also relax a little bit more because it's like, well, if I did that, I can certainly stand up in front of 20 people in a small room and talk for 10 minutes instead of 30 like I had to do for that group. So that also helps. I mean, a lot of it, as you're hearing me say, is just is managing yourself just as much as the situation mm -hmm. because you're learning to have influence. And unfortunately, this is where experience really does play a big part. Those people, like Ann said, that you're watching really influence the room. It's not because they're naturally good at influencing. It might be part of who they are, but I can guarantee you it's because they've worked really hard and intentionally to have the success that you see them have in those situations. Yeah, I think those are all really good points. And I'm going to say one on the counter side. Um, do not undermine yourself by saying all the time, well, I know I'm the young person no, or I'll I know never. I'm the new person. I see people do that all the time or have very self-deprecating behavior. Mm -mm. I feel like that totally undermines your authority and yes. the respect that people are going to have for you. Because the more you say, well, I know I'm the new person. Well, I know I'm the young person. It doesn't help whatever you come afterwards have any more impact. Actually, it has less impact because yep. all people hear you say well, he's the new the person or she is like the young person. Mm -hmm. So why are we listening to her again? Or why are we listening to him again? So make sure you, whatever you have to say, you say with authority. Now you can, don't have to say it in a way that is like so black and white that it's like uh, you're tone deaf to like anything <laughs> that came before it. Mm -hmm. But it goes back to the word that you said, April, which I think is a really good one, which is having respect for the room, mm -hmm. right? So you, you, can, you can say very similarly something like that by just saying, I know there's a lot of experience in the room, mm -hmm. and I know you guys have done this multiple times. I have a thought. Let me know what you guys think about it, yep. you know, or something to that effect that sets up the influencing conversation in a way that shows that you you recognize that, but you're also wanting to bring something new or something different to the table, right? Absolutely. So just, yeah, don't don't undermine yourself by by that because that's what you'll become known for, and that is a very hard tape to get over even 
years later. Mm-hmm. Like some reason, time does not like um, it, it takes a lot of time for that to kind of work itself out. So, yeah. All right. And our third and final segment is generally a real world example of a brand is doing this well or not well. But, um, you know, we could take this very esoterically into brands that have r- really good influencing conversations and stuff. But we thought it'd be better if we just gave a couple more um, of our personal histories and personal examples of some influencing conversations that have went well for us and some that have not gone so well from <laughs> us. Okay. So again, you know, we like to get really personal on this 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 podcast. So I'll start. Um, so my best influencing conversation, or one that I'm really proud of, I'll say, is um, which was I pitched my first piece of really big work coming out of P&G. And this really made me have to use all of the things that we talked about, um, really to the nth degree, because I was a little bit new to this. Um, so I was reestablishing my expertise in a brand new area, even though I have 20 years at P&G, like we said in the, in the past, it's amazing how that means like nothing <laughs> to anybody until you can demonstrate that you can translate that into what they need you to do in a moment. Right. So it's it's like you have to be able to demonstrate that you can deliver the impact in their context. So having to put this pitch together and having to actually explain um, to what was in, in essence um, kind of like a, a more um, developed startup, how my big brand experience was going to help the startup in order to generate growth and sales. Right. So I really had to understand where they were coming from. I had to really explain the impact I was going to be able to deliver. And then I also had to give them a little bit of an a easy way to say yes. And my easy way to say yes was my money back guarantee, right? And we use this at Fourth Right People all the time. I'm like, never was ever asked for their money back, but we have done it before and used it. And, you know, and, and sometimes that just helps to people get over the risk. And so when I shared my personal commitment that I was going to do whatever it takes to make them successful and that I was personally invested in this, I got the work over more sophisticated agencies, Mm -hmm. right? And um, that was a huge, huge win for me. And so I felt really um, gratified by the fact that um, it was – that was starting to kind of coalesce into an identity for myself um, and then putting those things into action. Now, the other thing that I had to do here too, and I want to make this point because we say it a lot, is like when you're having these conversations, your tendency, at least our tendency, a lot was to be like, well, let me tell you exactly how you should do it, mm-hmm. right? And you give away the farm in doing that. We've learned a lot the hard way, and we sometimes we still do it. I'll be, I'll be totally honest, more me than April. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, you, you, you want to share so much value that after a while, like, they just kind of kind of take it mm-hmm. without paying for it. You don't want to get to that point, but you do want to share enough of what to do or how you or or, or what you're going to do for them and the impact you're going to generate that they understand that your personal involvement here is something they need in order for the the business to be successful. So that was my one that I was really really proud of. April, I'll let you do your your good one. Then we can go to the ones that we're not so proud of. Yeah. So mine is centers more around building up your influence. Again, like I was saying in the last point, making sure that you know how to influence each individual that you have to get buy-in from as opposed to the team at large. Because if you're going to try to do something really big, if you don't have the buy-in of every single stakeholder, 
you're going to get stuck. Mm -hmm. And I will say that that was past maybe bad examples of me trying to do what I also recommended against, which is pushing too fast. But in this case, I went to the last agency I was at because I firmly believed that I could build a strategy team there that would create something new in that you could do actual branding work all the way through to the advertising and execution and communications and all of that. It was just that really no agency had that all in-house, at least at like the mid-size, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the bigger ones would get away with it by having other agencies that did that type of work in their network and they would solve the problems that way. But I really believed that you could do it in one agency with a leaner team than those types of situations. So I didn't go in there guns blazing as soon as I got there. I learned that in the past. And I bided my time and I spent a couple of years and I proved that I was a good member of the team, a strong participant in the business, a senior member in all of the things that we were doing, got myself on the right teams, all of those types of Mm -hmm. things, right? And so when it came time to really pitch an established strategy team, I had already built the infrastructure around influence. I built, rebuilt some accounts to incorporate strategy in meaningful ways. So I had the case studies and the metrics to go with it. And I had spent time really courting all of those key members on why it was important and why we should be doing it. And those metrics certainly helped. But back to the very beginning where we were talking about what's in it for them, that was what I had to establish in establishing the type of influence for each one, right? And again, this was not manipulative. It was just learning what was important to that person. So the numbers Mm -hmm. guy had to understand what kind of money we could make from this. The new business guy had to be given the tools to go sell this too so that he wasn't cut out of the equation. The owner of the company had to be sure that I was still going to be able to deliver on the businesses that I managed while I tried to help build this business, right? My team had to be reassured that they were capable of going and taking a lot off of my plate and doing it themselves in elevated positions because they were ready for that, right? So it was ticking all of that off. And then when it came to actually, you know, unveiling the process and showing how it would work and all of that, it was a much easier conversation. And then it was also easier to sell because, again, I'd already extended my influence to all these different places where everyone was like, well, why wouldn't we do that, right? So that's that, how could you possibly say no to me at that point? I had all of my ducks in a row around that. And, you know, I've said before, it was an invaluable experience for me to be able to build a team within an organization and have that kind of trust placed within me because it wasn't mine. It also gave me the right level of influence and know-how to be able to go build that for myself when I decided to leave the organization. And it was another big stepping stone in my career that because I'd focused on how to influence in the right way, I was able to go and do that. Yeah, I think that's a really good example. And I love when you tell that story because I think it demonstrates so telegraphically, all of these points and sometimes the patience and the, mm. the strategy that goes into having to have these conversations and not have, you know, good, like you said, come in your guns blazing and then, you know, shut everybody down mm-hmm. because that just makes the cycle have to reloop yep. back, right? Instead of having it. And it's harder that time and around. It's harder that time around because you have to undo some mm-hmm. of the stuff that you did. And I think you know, being able to achieve something like that big is worth it if you actually are putting, you know, it's it's worth the time and the effort of putting it in there when you're trying to achieve something that big. I think mm-hmm. that's a better way of saying it. Yeah. 
So you have to really be um, respectful of the kind of ask that you're, you're, you're making or the kind of influencing conversation you want to have and the magnitude of what it's going to take to actually get that. And then you have to be willing to put in the work. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Right? And which is what you did. You had to go and you had to like take down everybody pretty much individually, <laughs> right? And frame it up in the way that they would understand it and they would get it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a, a thing that we see a lot of people not doing. And then they wonder why their influencing conversations kind of fall flat. Yep. So I think that's really important. And I also, you know, a question that we get to a lot and it occurred to me as we were talking about this is like, what if I don't have any experience to draw upon mm. in order to be able to to um, pitch myself? And that's where, you know, we've said before, um, and we said earlier in this podcast that sometimes it's it's more about who you are yeah. versus what your experience is and what you've yeah. done. That Then it becomes really, really important for you to come up with the right value proposition. So for example, I'm in real estate. A lot of these people who want to get into real estate don't have the money or experience, but have the time, mm-hmm. are willing to do some work for free in order to get that experience. Mm-hmm. So this is where you can't use that as an excuse. There's lots of ways to get experience. It may not be the formal corporate, you know, training or the, you know, the education, but there's definitely lots of ways to get experience that makes you um, hands-on, knowledgeable about what you want to go do. You just have to start somewhere. Don't expect to be able to jump into the middle and then really honor the fact that sometimes it takes people a little while to get there and you have to respect that and then you have to respect the process. Absolutely. Yep. All right, so our worst ones. <laughs> this is always funny. Um, okay, so I'm going to go way, way back. Okay, so I still remember when I was thinking about this, I still remember one from one of my very first interviews at a college. Oh, my gosh. I know. This is way, way back. This is way, way back. And it, but it was so fundamentally impactful to me that it still like resonates in my head today. So this is when they were doing college um, campus interviews, and you got to sign up with a couple different companies, right? And um, there was one, and I was actually very interested in the company, but for some reason, I was just kind of off my game that day. I don't remember if I had a test or what was going on. Um, and, and now I see like other people do this, and I was like, oh, God, I remember doing this. I remember being in the interview and somebody asking me or, or the interviewer asking me the question of like, you know, tell me about a time when, you know, what are those questions, right? Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I remember the very first words out of my mouth were, well, I had to, and I was like, Oh, right. As soon as you have to say like I had to or somebody made me or this was like it starts putting it in, like in the context of like one, you feel like a victim or one, you've kind of get it starts feeling like I'm going to throw everybody underneath the mm-hmm. bus or immaturity, a- immaturity. And I'm yeah. like and I actually ended up I think I it went to that point where it has no other place to go but throwing somebody underneath the bus. So that one, I, I I know that response went, and I could just I saw her kind of nodding her head. I'm like, oh shoot, I'm in trouble. This one is just not going well. Um, and so that was part of it. But then it got worse from there because <laughs> when um she was asking me another question, I I started that with, well, we did this, and the very first thing that we tell people when they're putting together resumes or they're in interviews is like, no, it's I did this, and mm-hmm. I and you know we have a very nice structure for how to do that without sounding very arrogant. You know, um, and uh, but you know they want to know what you did specifically, not what we did as a team. Um, yeah, and so that kind of started going downhill very, um, very, very quickly. Um, so. I, I say all that because you guys are probably laughing at me going like, well, duh, Anne. I'm like, you know, you shouldn't do that. But I can't tell you how many times I heard that in just conversations 
with people through like all my years at PNG and even now into our forthright people days, where when you're having a conversation with um, somebody of influence and their very first thing, first thing out of their mouth is, well, I have to do this. And mm-hmm. you're like, will you, will you help me do this? I have to do this. I'm like, why? I mean, what 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 is like inspiring me to help you when you have to do this? Again, that feels like you're trying to get somebody to feel like emotionally bad for you mm-hmm. in order to um have have them like actually do something for you. So like it it, it plays on that that mode, and so I highly suggest not getting yourself into these situations where it is a um a downward spiral from things of like what people are making you do. Or, um, you know, you know, the other thing is like, oh, you'll never guess what this person said and this pa- that person said. And now I'm, I'm like on, on this. And so you're some sort of victim, you know, mentality. Those things don't work. Or you're gossiping. Gossiping. Um, you know, so that, that, that was kind of didn't go well. So needless to say, I didn't get a call back for a second interview. I walked out of that. And I was like, well, that was a interesting. Well, actually, I think I said something different, but I think I did learn from that. And, you know, um, I, I applied it to my, to my rest of my interviews, like you said, about being resilient, um, in the fact of, of learning, mm-hmm. especially, you know, when you're younger and newer. So that was my, my worst one. Well, and mine's also one from very early on in my career. It was my very first job, and I had been there less than two years, I think. And so one of my big goals coming out of my MBA was to move and work somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so I had done a bit of that in my co-ops, and I really enjoyed it, and I just felt like there was a lot of personal growth. So it was a big goal. And I tried the route of interviewing right after school, but entry level, you know, is always kind of tricky. And can you get mm-hmm. paid enough to work in a big city? You know, all of those types of things, right? So I ended up in Cincinnati, but I picked the company because they had offices at that point at different places in the U.S. And then eventually they merged with a company that had offices around the world, right? So that was one of the opportunities that I was looking for. We've talked about previously on the show of the opportunity to travel when you're younger, right? And so I had made a fairly good connection with a company that we had acquired in New York that still went by its own name, but was owned by the company here in town. And I had been up there a lot because we were actually courting the other company that we were eventually going to merge with. And so New York City was a good place that everyone wanted to come to. And, you know, it was shiny, right? So I was there a lot. So I spent a good amount of time with this guy and he decided that he really needed an account person because they were a smaller shop. They were a handful of people, I think, being acquired, and they were going to eventually merge with the this other company's office in New York. But he wanted to preserve some of the autonomy, and part of that was to be able to use, you know, me or our own mm-hmm. team, but also someone that was connected to the Cincinnati office, which was home base. And so we started like general conversations and um, I had a boss in Cincinnati and she was supportive of the idea and understood why it was important to me. Um, So all of that foundation was great. But then he out of the blue and I realized he really should have never done this, put me in this situation given where I was in my career. But he just asked me for a number. What would it take for me to move to New York City? And so I told him $100,000. That's it? And, well, in agency life, right, I was probably making half of that. Okay. And it 
came with like no context. Like I actually had done my homework, right? So I had like looked up how much would an apartment even smaller than the one I have cost and, you know, how much was the train pass? And like, like I had all of my reasons for that, right? However, he heard me being a young person just flippantly asking for this because there were people with eight or 10 mm-hmm. years more experience than me. Again, it's agency, right? Mm-hmm. Making 80 or 90 and living in New York. And so he just flew off the handle. He called my boss and told her like, you know, she, you know, she's too immature for this. I don't even want to entertain it anymore. I mean, just this whole oh, wow. ridiculous right now. I dodged a bullet in that entire situation. He was not someone I ever would have wanted to work for. And I learned that over the next couple of years that I was there. So thankful, actually. Mm -hmm. But in retrospect, I didn't do any of the things that we talked about here, Mm -hmm. right? Like I barely built the foundation of a relationship with him. I mean, our time together was probably 15 or 20 minutes when I was in the office. It was just like light conversation. I had a good reputation in the company for being a go-getter and working really hard and doing whatever was necessary, but he'd never really experienced that firsthand. And we were at the very beginning of our relationship. And so I should have, and I I did like, (laughs) that like just set the stage for every interview coming after of like, I'm not going to give you a number. I would like you to bring me a number that you feel like is compatible with what I should make based on what you know about my role and experience, right? Like that Mm -hmm. became my thing. But I remember, and it's the same as you, like so vividly getting the phone call. And this boss of mine was notorious for calling at 9 p.m., right? So I remember being in Mount Adams, walking my dog Toby, seeing her name, knowing exactly what it was going to be about, picking up the phone like, hey. And she's like, so I heard you talk to Jim. And I'm like, yeah, did he call you? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and she uh, like good on her for reinforcing he really never should have put you in that situation. He didn't even have a conversation with me. He shouldn't have reached out to you. Like all of those things, right? That's kind of his MO, blah blah blah. But it stuck with me and it really caused me to think hard and, you know, to some of the other advice I said in this episode, I kind of went the other way I think for a while where I put so much pressure on doing it right as the younger person that I had to find the middle, but I never did that again. Yeah. It's amazing how those things still resonate. And not that we haven't had bad communications yeah. or worse situations since yeah. then, but it's amazing that we both went to that one because it was so fundamental uh-huh. in the way now that we structure our communications conversations going forward and probably had some impact on how we developed this too. Exactly right. So let's just summarize the how to communicate effectively the influence and the elements of that. So first is to know your audience. So influencing is all about giving the recipient something they want in order to get something you want. So inherently, your influencing approach should be more focused on what they will get out of it versus why you need it, want it, or deserve it. Plan your engagement like it is a pitch. This should be communicated in less than three to five minutes or a few concise paragraphs. Everything else is reinforced in the Q&A that usually comes after, especially if you've done a good job on the pitch. Show you're invested in a shared outcome. Tell personal stories. Give it personal examples express a personal vision. And as I said, make sure you tell them what you exactly did. (laughs) Whatever (laughs) demonstrates that you are personally invested. And then finally, appreciate, reciprocate, and pay it forward. This really helps you solidify the emotional connection, creating virtuous relationships, which is the whole point of having influencing conversations. And with that, we'll say go exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. 
Mention you heard about us here, and we will give you a free 30-minute consultation. You can also share any topics you want us to cover, which helps us give real-world support to our listeners in real time. And if you learned something impactful, please share with a friend and don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.